Uni Taster Days proudly presents The Uni Guide. The Uni Guide. For parents and teachers. The guidance podcast you need to support students with university decisions. Welcome back listeners to The Uni Guide. This is episode three. And in this episode, we'll be tackling a massive beast that surrounds university. And that beast goes by the name of jargon. And to take down this beast, I need a brave knight to help me along my way. But I couldn't find one. So welcome back to the Uni Guide, John. Hi, everyone. I'm John. I'm here from Uni Taste today. Thank you, Tim, for inviting me back. Welcome back, John. Can you just give us an insight into why we're recording this episode? I think, Tim, it's just a really important subject we cover because having I've, I've worked at three universities and I work with universities and, and universities love jargon and universities love acronyms as well. And I think one of the challenges that students have, parents have, teachers have is, is as university practitioners, a lot of the, the, the things we call certain things aren't clear to others and and we thought early on in this podcast series we'll start talking about some of these jargon acronyms that students teachers parents might run into to help you out so when you hear it you're going to know what they are because if I'm honest we can record a podcast looking at jargon and acronyms and things but we're not going to change the world we're not going to stop them happening so what we can do instead of that is kind of prepare you for it and and let you know a few of them and, and help you out when you hear them. No, thank you, John. Makes perfect sense. Have you got a definition for me that sums up jargon? So jargon, the dictionary definition of it is special words or expressions that are used by a particular profession or group and are difficult for others to understand. Now, I think actually that works really well for universities. And, and as universities, and I speak of myself as someone that now works with, but has previously worked for universities, we often use jargon, we often use acronyms that that makes our lives easier because we just assume everyone's going to know what they are. But actually, if you're not you know, working in this sector day to day, it's just going to make things for you overly complicated. And for me, that's what jargon is. It's just making a, a relatively simple description unnecessarily complicated. Time to introduce our special guest because we need extra help to take down this massive beast of jargon. And that special guest today is Meg Grissel. Welcome, Meg, to the UniGuide podcast. Hello, thank you so much for having me today. Thank you, Meg. Please give an introduction to our listeners. My name's Meg, and I work at St Mary's University in Twickenham, and I'm a schools and colleges manager, which essentially means that I go into schools and colleges and inform young people about their next steps, whether that's university or elsewhere. Thank you, Meg, and great to have you with us. We've set Meg a bit of a difficult challenge, Essentially, she's going to be describing her journey into university, but then every time she stumbles on a piece of jargon, uh, an acronym or a technical term, John and I are going to buzz in, uh, a bit like University Challenge, it's going to be called University Challenged, every time she stumbles across one. Um, So Meg, if you'd just like to describe your route, um, your story in your own time. Yeah, sure. I, I would say that my university journey was quite straightforward, but on reflection, Especially preparing for this podcast, I realized how much jargon and just unknown terms really got in my way. So when I started um, sixth form, I didn't really know what career I wanted to go into. And I think a lot of young people can relate to that. So I did biology, history, English literature and chemistry as my A-levels. Broad things that wouldn't necessarily pigeonhole me into anywhere, um, but kind of gave me a choice in terms of applying to university. 
at the time, I really, really wanted to be a doctor and I've gone completely the opposite direction and ended up studying history. Thank you, Meg. Did you face any challenges along the way? I'd say for me, my biggest challenge was convincing my parents that going to a London university was a thing that I really wanted to do. So for context, I did study at St Mary's. I studied history undergraduate. Birmingham City Cheek. Undergraduate is the the first course that a student will do after they leave school. Now, obviously, you don't have to go to university straight from school, but the generally, if you look at the, the usual journey of someone that goes to university is they'll, they'll probably start university age 18 and they'll do an undergraduate course, which is usually, but not always, three years long. And then went on to study a postgraduate in history as well, also at St Mary's. UCLAN. Sorry, Meg, keep going. No, so this is a postgraduate. So once you've done your undergraduate degree, and you finish that, you might want to study at a higher level. And this is sometimes referred to as a master's. And at the time, you know, for my parents, neither who had been to university the traditional way. So my mum didn't go. My dad's South African, so he did a degree in South Africa. So very different to here. So neither of them really had the experience of applying to like student finance or understanding what sort of support I'd get if I did go to a London university. So for me, that was really, really challenging. And I guess then when I started looking at universities in London, such as like going to open days. Birmingham City Cheek. So Meg, for the benefit of the listeners, can you just tell us what an open day is? An open day is an excellent opportunity for you to go and explore the university that you might be considering applying to. So it's a chance to speak to the people that will be teaching you, to view their campus, accommodation, ask all the questions you have and to get a real feel of what it's like to be at that university. Looking back, Meg, did you have much of a plan? Did you know what universities you might be applying for? I didn't know what university I was looking for. I didn't know what factors were important to me because all I heard at school was, you know, Russell Groups are the best, University of London accredited degrees are the ones and... Birmingham City, cheek. Russell Group universities, what's the key things to be aware of? Well, the first thing I'd say is there's 24 Russell Group members. So when students say, I want to study at a Russell Group university, they're really talking about studying at one of 24 member universities. They're also well known for the quality of their research, which then has a really positive impact on society and the economy. And if you're the type of person that likes league tables, now I'm not a big league table fan myself, I much prefer visiting and seeing facilities in person. But if you do like league tables, you'll notice that many of the Russell Group members feature very highly when it comes to a lot of the league tables. If we look at worldwide league tables, you'll probably find that Four of the top 10 universities in the world in terms of the rankings are Russell Group members. That's, if you're wondering, Imperial College London, University College London, the University of Oxford and the University of Cambridge, but not in that order. But also, if you look at UK-based league tables, a lot of the Russell Group members feature very, very highly in those league tables. And therefore, a lot of students see universities that are members of the Russell Group as very aspirational and also as being very good universities based on league tables and many other factors like research and more. I just knew that that was a standard. I didn't realise there were other things out there, such as campus universities, which turns out that, you know, is perfect for me. You clap. Keep going, Meg, you're doing a brilliant job. What is a campus university then? So a campus university would be, I would phrase it as, a university where everything is on site from your accommodation to maybe where you get your food to your lecture theatres to the library whereas the city university is a bit different where in fact there might be various buildings located across that city um your accommodation might be outside the city or further away 
So even though they're based in cities, they're not all on one site, which can be quite confusing actually when you think about it, but both have pros and cons to them um, that, yeah, you need to consider when looking at universities, what works best for you. Thank you, Meg. What about your A-levels? So I chose the four A-levels that I did because um, at the time I was considering becoming a doctor. Now, after looking through the entire UCAS website, UCLAN. Meg, what is UCAS? What does it do? University Colleges Admissions Service. And essentially, they are the organisation or body that you'll most likely apply to university um, through. And on that website, they list all the courses that are available in the country. Um, there's like 50,000 different courses available, and they're all on that website. I realised that perhaps I wasn't going to get those uh, grades that are outlined on each university's requirements. Birmingham City Cheek. Entry requirements. This is what course providers, known as universities, higher education institutions sometimes, will ask for in relation to joining that course. So it might be asking for certain grades, but it might also relate to things like interviews, admissions tests and other requirements. I then discovered after speaking with my teachers and advisors that perhaps biomed, as they called it, could be an option. And biomed is biomedicine. And essentially, you can use that to go into medicine in a different pathway, whether you transfer onto a medical degree or whether you complete that and then do a medical degree afterwards. It's just another route into it. Finishing my first year of sixth form, I discovered that I was terrible at chemistry. I got a U in all my practicals and an E in the written exam. So becoming a doctor probably wasn't the best thing for me. But I did know that I wanted to go into research in some capacity, whether that was in a lab or maybe writing or, you know, researching in something more humanities based, which led me on to history. Once I'd narrowed down history as being the subject that I really, really wanted to study, the next question was, OK, which university do I go to and where? I think the only factor I knew that I wanted out of a university at the time was that I really wanted to be in London. I really wanted to go to London, experience the city and have that experience. So I initially started looking at Russell Group Universities in London. UCLAN. I know we had a definition earlier of what Russell Groups are, but I just wondered how they got their name. Um, if anyone can enlighten us on that, because it might be useful to know. Uh, I believe, and again, I might be wrong here. Um, I'll Google this afterwards. But I think Russell Group actually, universities in the Russell Group are called Russell Group Universities because it, it, they the first meeting in 1994-ish was actually in uh, Russell's, Meg, you'll be able to tell me, it's Russell Square in London, somewhere in London, basically, which is linked to the name Russell. Okay. I think it's the name of a hotel. Very close. Very close. <laughs> Okay, Meg, so you want to study university in London. It's a huge place, obviously. How did you make your choice? Sure. I guess the first thing I did was, again, use UCAS. I kind of stuck to the UCAS website in terms of looking at my choices because I thought, you know, they outlined the course requirements very well. What I didn't do was look at the different modules on courses or anything like that, which... Birmingham City, cheek. So Meg, can I just ask you what you, you mentioned modules and there's loads now that we read about modules and students need to be looking at modules that are in university course and things. But do you mind just telling us what a module is? So modules break down your year at university. So in your first year, you might have six modules, so three each side of Christmas. And one of them might be based on the French Revolution if you're studying history, for example. 
So once I'd narrowed down my um, five choices, I really applied to five very different universities. There was no common theme or connection between the places that I was choosing. I really didn't know what university I was looking for, except for the fact that, yeah, I really wanted to be a University of London, you know, university. Um, In the end, that wasn't the case. I chose two city universities and three campus universities, all located in different areas. So some were right in the city centre with accommodation that was outside of um, London, nearly. I chose some where accommodation was on site. I chose one that was actually outside the Oyster Zone. I really just handpicked five universities that my grades would get me into. Um, I didn't, I guess I didn't really research them very well. And out of those five universities, I think I only went to three open days or four open days. Actually, that's quite a lot. <laughs> now I say it, it's all coming back to me. It was a long time ago. And I think only then when I went to those universities and was actually there, did I understand that maybe a campus university is what I was looking for to have all the kind of services I needed on site was really important to me. And the university I did end up choosing, St. Mary's, um, the one factor that really sold it for me was the size and something that some students look into, but I didn't do at the time was maybe staff and student ratio. There's all these different little things that appear on league tables that. Birmingham City Cheek. So Meg, you mentioned league tables and, and I recall in one of the previous years, you've, you've actually wrote editorial for us in the Teacher's Guide to University on what league tables are. Do you mind just in a nutshell to tell us what league tables are? Yeah, sure. So there's a couple of different major league tables that you might have heard of, such as The Guardian, for example. Different league tables break down different things such as academic research or student experience. So make sure that you're looking at all of them. And again, as we've already spoken about, what factors are important to you when looking at a university? To kind of finish this off, I think in retrospect, I would have chosen five very different universities if I was more informed on the different things or the different jargon or phrases that I could be looking at and could be researching. Meg, a big thank you from both of us. You did a brilliant job. But I think your story, you know, it shows you how much jargon surrounds university when you're thinking of applying, when you're visiting it, just having general discussions about it. This is confusing even if you are at university and our student panel, our brilliant student panellists are at university at the moment, they're undergraduate studying. So what we did as a challenge is we gave them five terms, five acronyms and asked them how many of them could they define. Let's see how they got on. So we'll be hearing from Anton first and then we have Leah to follow. And if you want to play at home, the five I'll give you now are HE, UCAS, WP, HEI, and IAG. Uni acronyms, I actually do know most of these. I'm going to hazard a guess at the one I don't know. But, uh... Okay, Anton, so the first one is HE. HE. What do we think? So we'll start with the first one, which is obviously higher education. Study it. It's generally a term used to describe a degree of some sort. UCAS, that's. That one gets me every time. I want to say university commissions advisory service. I haven't used UCAS in a long time, so I'm a little bit wobbly on that one. WP, that's uh, quite an easy one. As I said, I, I literally work in widening participation, so that's what WP stands for. 
The next one is HEI. Obviously, that's not too indifferent from, from HE. It's more of a term used to describe an institution, hence higher education institution or institute. Okay, Anton, we have the last one for you. IAG, what do we think? IAG is, uh, <laughs> I want to say, information advisory something i i the g has slipped my mind uh, i don't know too much about it so i'll just leave it at that uh, i'm not sure i'm sorry thank you anton next we have leah uni acronyms no cheating i'm now going to go through see what these five acronyms stand for the first one he he is higher education i'm pretty sure if i'm not then again i'm sorry for my confidence but i think it's higher education um oh i'm gonna really embarrass myself ucas what does ucas stand for i know what ucas is i work for them sometimes um i should know what it stands for um university universities and colleges i don't know what comes after that university college University College something. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'll be looking that up afterwards and kicking myself. <laughs> WP is widening participation. I know this because I'm a widening participation student. It would be the next one. HEI. HEI. Higher education. I. Higher education something. Higher education international. In. In. Institution and IAG, I could not tell you. I have no clue. I've never heard of IAG in institution something. In international, sorry, I don't know. Ah, I feel like I've done a bad job. It just shows you how hard it is to learn these acronyms and to know what they mean. Like, I'm going to be going to Google after this and trying to work out what some of these mean. Oh, thank you, Anton, and thank you, Leah, uh, for your efforts there. So there was five. If you've got all five at home, then a big well done to you. So it was HE, UCAS, University, Colleges and Admission Services, WP, Widening Participation, HEI, Higher Education Institution, and IAG was Information, Advice and Guidance. Meg, any thoughts or feedback from listening to the students? I love the energy of these students. <laughs> Uh, so much and actually I'm so impressed by what they already know that I did not know before I started university WP I would never have been able to tell you before my current role that I'm in I didn't even know whilst I was at university love that they didn't know what IAG was because I've got to say a lot of people that work at university with me don't actually know like if they're a lot higher or don't work in the schools and colleges team um, so I find myself having to explain that a lot and to be fair, UCAS, I always trip myself up on what the A is. <laughs> Very similar to Meg, to be honest. The, um, I cheated because I knew that UCAS was going to probably be one of the terms we discussed tonight. So I, I... Oh, John, you didn't. I preempted, Tim, Meg, that you might uh, put me on the spot and ask me what UCAS was. So I, I, I know the A now because of that. But I'd, I think if you asked me just out of the blue, I think I'd struggle. Uh, the, the one thing I was, I was really surprised at if I'm honest, just because schools use it so much and universities do a fair bit is IAG. And one of the things I take from that is, and, and linked to you know, wider conversations we're going to have as universities or university practitioners, we just assume that 
everyone knows about it and, and if a current student doesn't know what IIG is that's been through the university journey and or at least the application journey uh, really um, really really interesting um, HEI again higher education institution we we know that because we use it all the time but yes HEI I'm just going to jump in there John because what we did also is we gave Anton and Leah five universities and their names are all kind of acronyms if you like and we wanted to see if they could name as many as they could if you want to play at home they are the following so we've got BGU UWE BCU AUB and RGU just to clarify these are all universities in the UK they are not the contents of John's hip-hop collection just to clarify there. So let's see how Anton and Leah got on with these five university acronym names. Hmm. It's quite embarrassing, but I'm going to have to be honest and say I actually don't know any of these five. BGU, I I was thinking maybe Bath something, but no, it's Bath Spa. So I'm not sure about BGU. UWE, uh, probably the... Is it University of West uh, West England? I don't know. Uh, BCU, Birmingham something University. Uh, AUB, that could be anything. I'm trying to think of somewhere actually beginning with A. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to have to pass on that one. And RGU is maybe the... Um, Royal something university. I'm not sure. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you, Anton. You were close on a couple, but you scored one. Leah, can you do any better? So let's do it. Um, BGU. Uh, <laughs> I have no clue. I am uh, Bristol. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, you. W-E, U-W-E, University, University, something England. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> B- BCU, BCU, I think, is Birmingham City. I, I, I feel okay about that one. It could be something else. I think it's Birmingham City. And if it's not, then I've just really embarrassed myself. <laughs> um, oh, no. A-U-B. What's A-U-B? Something university. I'm starting to learn that the U usually means university. Um, a university. It's not Birmingham, Bristol. I don't know. <laughs> um, RGU again. No clue. How are you meant to know all of these universities by these acronyms? RGU something something university. Oh, I mean, hopefully, I got one right. <laughs> you did, Leah. You both were tied on one, and it is a lot harder than it sounds. So I'm just going to go through them now and hope you enjoyed guessing. So the first one is BGU, which is Bishop Grost Este in Lincoln. I know that because I had to look it up myself. UWE, University of West England in Bristol. BCU, which is Birmingham City University. AUB, Arts University in Bournemouth. Our RGU is Robert Gordon University and it's situated in Aberdeen. There you go. So even universities, their names have to be decoded sometimes to find out what they're called and where they're situated. That brings us to the end of part one. Join us after a short break for part two. 
John, we were talking acronyms before. I just wanted to know, it could be a piece of jargon as well, which one is the one that gets you the most? Which one annoys you the most? I've got to be honest, Tim, Meg, uh, I absolutely hate acronyms. It's one of the, the, the I, I love working in education, love working with universities, but then the biggest probably bugbear is, is the acronyms that are used. Uh, so, uh, which one is my least favourite? Uh, don't like any of them. Uh, my least <laughs> favourite is probably HE. Um, re- the reason it is HE, I've, I've got those reasons and I could go on about it for a long time. And it's, it's also the one that everyone seems to use. And, and maybe I'm, uh, this is, and HE stands for higher education, which basically refers to universities or colleges that deliver university level courses. And it's just used absolutely loads. But A, I don't think students really understand it. Teachers perhaps don't so much. Uh... Yeah, I agree, John. So if there's so much jargon around, and we've established that a lot, you know, why do we use it then in, when we talk about universities in HE, in higher education? Is it because we're lazy? Is it because it's easier for us? Is it because it's what we've always done? I just want to know. I think it's a really interesting one. I know why jargon's used, I guess, internally in workspaces. But I think rather than maybe putting students off of university, I don't think it's enticing them. I think if you're sending out emails, you know, using jargon, a student might miss what the message is you're trying to convey because they don't understand what you're saying. Not be- doesn't disincentivize them. They're just like, I don't know what this is. I'm going to move on. And maybe an example of that is, you know, I think every university sends out e-communications about their open days. But the moment you change that word and you come up with something fancier because it sounds cool, like UG experience taster whatever like UG they're not going to think that's applicable to them if they're used to something else so I think it's more about ensuring that we're just saying what we mean so that we're actually yeah encouraging students to get involved rather than confusing them or making them think oh that's not relevant to me yeah I completely I think that's a brilliant point Megan and I find I find acronyms jargon in terms of university very frustrating but I think, to be honest, I don't think it's going to change. I don't think it's going to go away. I think it's just traditionally always been there and, and traditionally always will be. Um, I'm not a fan, as it's been probably quite clear during this session. But And we use just so many terms that make things unnecessarily complicated. Undergraduate. What is undergraduate under? Postgraduate. What's, what are you posting? It's, it's like these terms that we as universities just expect students, parents, teachers to understand. And then we're surprised when they don't. But they don't. We need to, we need to make sure we're clearer to help. Meg, John shared his, which was H-E. Do you have a piece of jargon or an acronym that kind of winds you up or annoys you? So I don't have mine to be controversial, mm-hmm. but I would bin the phrase or term or name clearing. I hate it. St Mary's University Twickenham Resale. In the UCAS undergraduate application, clearing is another service you can use to look for alternative courses. If you didn't get a place in a course, whether you didn't receive offers, declined your offers, or didn't get the grades you needed, clearing allows you to apply for courses that still have vacancies. And why do you dislike this term? And I think it's because it just has, through no fault of its own as a word, but it just has such bad connotations. And I think it just needs to be changed now to maybe reflect something a bit more positive in the sense of, Clearing isn't just about, oh, I didn't get my grades, I've got to go to a university I don't want to. A, that's an incredible opportunity and experience that, you know, it's an amazing system that's there to help students still achieve what they want. Secondly, you can use it as something which allows you to go somewhere else that because actually you've achieved better than you thought you would. And you can, what used to be called adjust, but isn't called adjust anymore, you can adjust upwards. 
And finally, a lot of students now just apply through clearing, which is also absolutely okay if they want to do that. So I just think it has such bad connotations. It should be a really exciting day for learners. So Meg, just as a bit of fun, what I'm going to do now is, is go through some terms in relation to university that's often shortened and just ask you which one you would generally use in your day-to-day -day life. So uni or university? Uni. HE or higher education? I think I'd use higher education. Good work, Meg. <laughs> or widening participation? WP probably. I do use that quite a lot when speaking to teachers about thinking because I work so closely with the WP team. HEI or higher education institution? Neither. I just try to avoid that generally, if I'm honest. <laughs> Excellent answer, Meg. Uh, MOOC or massive open online course? I've got to make a confession. I'd never heard of this ever. So that's one for me to revise. <laughs> it would have stumped me if I heard that acronym. <laughs> Uh, SLC or the student loans company? Student loans company, for sure. And I'm not sure your VC will be listening, Meg, but in case they are, VC or vice chancellor? I always say the VC, so the VC in reference to Anthony McLaren. <laughs> I was just reflecting on Meg's story and I went onto the UCAS website and one of the courses I was looking at is called a sandwich degree, which is a bit of a, of a funny term. It makes me think of food, um, usually does. Um, but anything you can kind of clear up here, John, what is a sandwich degree? Strange term, isn't it? I think we use it, Tim, is because it's sandwich indicates something else in the middle of something. So, so I think the, the term sandwich degree refers to students completing a course, but within that course, there'll be something else going on. And I think that's where the term sandwich comes from. But actually, you asking me that question makes me think about something else. And and actually where these terms originate, like Meg earlier on said about clearing, this is sandwich degree. Who names these these terms and, and how do they stick? I completely agree. Now I think about it, where did they come up with the idea of calling it a sandwich and not just a work placement year or something more simple? And also, I think it's quite misleading. You know, students hear about sandwiches and think, wow, if I want to do a work placement, I have to go and do a sandwich degree. When that's not the case, you know, you can do work placement modules to come back down to modules. You can do a module within your year at some universities where you go and do work placements as part of just a three-year course you don't have to take a full year out I think maybe that comes down to further questions about how we market different degrees and what they offer okay two more terms lectures and seminars are these just posh terms for big or small classes at uni I love that posh terms for big and small classes I mean you're not entirely wrong and I think if you're introducing those terms to someone who doesn't know then that's fine but I think it depends on firstly the size of the university you go to. You might have a really small lecture group, but essentially coming down to it, a lecture, as I like to explain it, is where you're kind of taught the subject or the module topic of that week. And you sit there and you listen and you take notes. And then a seminar is a great opportunity for you to discuss your findings, your reading, your projects with the class that you're with. And from experience, seminars really bring out if you've a uh, been doing your research between lectures you get caught out pretty quickly because they are smaller they are in smaller groups than your lecture as you said no i think Meg, meg's captured it really well um i was always um very keen to go to lectures and less keen to go to the seminars <laughs> for that very reason what about placement year or studying abroad anybody got any insights on on these two i think this is actually one that, that could be very confusing I, I think a placement year could be the same thing as studying abroad if you decide for your placement to study abroad so Whenever I'm working with students, how I describe the two of them is is actually to say, look, if you study abroad, you're therefore going to 
spend a period of time outside of the country you're, you're currently in, which might be a whole year, might be a semester, might be a shorter period of time. And then a placement year is, is generally associated with staying in the same country and then doing something for the year, which, which usually is related to work. Yeah, if you're using jargon, that's not explaining exactly what the opportunity is or what's being offered. Um, students will just ignore that. I know that I do. If I get emails with random jargon in, they, they're straight in the bin. And I think it's the same for students. So rather than maybe putting them off, just speaking from my experience, I just know that if I was receiving or reading information with heavy jargon, I just wouldn't know if it was applicable to me. And it comes back to things like UG or undergraduate. As I said, I was looking at letters, not that phrase. So how do I know that degree is suitable for me? Um, I'm pretty sure I probably looked at postgraduate courses without even knowing um, at some points because you just don't know so different things for different people. I just wanted to add something else. It's a little bit kind of left field, but but hopefully an interesting point is is I always remember when I used to, back when I worked at a university, I worked in a law school and and I was at a fair and a parent came over and, and asked you know, questions about the course. But the the first question they asked, and I always remember it, is what does LLB stand for? And I had absolutely no idea. And, and looking back now, I think for that parent that perhaps could have been someone that didn't go to university themselves. And the first question they ask is, is something, you know, that, an acronym that we use every single day. What does it mean? I can answer it. So I think their confidence perhaps in me <laughs> completely dwindled. Um, and the person I was with on the stand couldn't answer it either. Um, they said it was Latin. That's about as far as we, we got with the answer. To. And I think we, we sometimes kind of get absorbed with you know, the, the key things that you know we use in words that perhaps aren't accessible, but actually confidence is a biggie. And and if we're not being able to say what certain terms are, then people are going to lack a lot of confidence very quickly. So why do we use jargon and these terms at universities then? I have no idea why we do it. It's a really good question too. I, I don't. I think the the answer, in my perspective, is is we do because we always have. And and I know that's not that's not the the quite you know if you always do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you're always going to get. But the, but I think that is the honest way. And I think the the more people that use acronyms, the more people think it's acceptable that, that certain acronyms are used. And, and I suppose on the flip side of that, the more people that use acronyms, the more understanding long-term of what the acronyms mean. And uh, the, the two questions that have come out of this, this chat, number one is I don't know why universities use the acronyms we do. And number two, I don't know who creates the acronyms we use. Um, and I don't know the answer to either of those, but I think they're a really good question. That brings us to the end of part two. Join us after this short break for resources, hints and tips from our guest Meg and John. Okay, Meg and John, we are in the game of trying to make decisions easier and informed. Anything you can provide on jargon and acronyms here to make people's lives easier. So one thing that we produce at Uni Taste Days is a teacher's guide to university brochure. And, and, and Meg is very, very kindly offered her time to record this podcast with us. And one of the reasons that we, we spoke to Meg about it is the jargon buster in the current Teacher's Guide University Meg actually produced for us. And, and one thing we try and do is, is make it very, very clear what certain terms mean in relation to universities. And I know a lot of other websites will do that as well. Yeah, I guess some other resources I would add and kind of relating again back to my journey of neither of my parents understanding student finance. I think everyone's heard of Martin Lewis, I would hope. Um, and if you haven't, definitely look him up. But the article that kind of changed my perception of how student finance works was one that he wrote for the, um, I think it was for you actually, John, as well. Another plug for your guide. But I think it's excellent 
for the fact that it, it outlines to parents or carers exactly what the expectations are on you and I think when I if I had known that information whilst I was applying I'd been able to say to my parents and have that conversation okay I might not get the full loan here it's kind of on you to support me you know like give them that expectation that okay I might be able to afford my food but I might need some support with my rent because my maintenance loan another jargon <laughs> St Mary's University Twickenham Resell um, so the maintenance loan is what helps you whilst you're at university it goes straight to your bank account so kind of explaining what that all means was really really useful and I definitely recommend that article in um, your guide John and I think just for other glossaries and terms UCAS just going back to their website I think do it brilliantly as well um, so I recommend always looking there maybe as well as a first um, port of call and finally going back to asking questions every single university I mean my team teams at other universities that do the same role as us we're here to help um, teachers, yourself, parents, um, come to parents' evenings, whatever, and we'll help you. And we have our own resources on most websites. I'm, I, I can't speak for all universities, but I'm pretty sure that everyone has a jargon buster somewhere on their website. And yeah, just drop anyone an email if you have any questions. So one other thing I think is really useful that, that parents are aware of and also teachers that work with students are aware of is, is there's many subjects at university and Meg referenced 50,000 courses at university earlier on. And there's loads of subjects and actually there's loads of subjects at university that students perhaps have got no idea what they are, but also parents might not have any idea what they are. And, and teachers, actually, you might not have any idea what they are as well. And, and one thing that we do at UniTaste Days is we've got this on-demand webinar platform. And the reason I mentioned that is we introduce studying loads of different subjects at university and literally the A to Z of university subjects. And and I know now about subjects like material science and operating department practice and zoology and architectural technology because of recording these. But it does make me think in terms of decision making that students do and your role as parents or teachers is, is actually how many students know what university courses include, but actually what university courses are. And when it comes to decision making, I think it's so important that students just are aware of all the courses out there because they're going to spend probably three years of their lives doing a certain subject at university and and actually if they don't think about that subject enough it's such a wasted opportunity thank you so much for having me today this was so much fun um you can follow us at outreach st mary's on instagram and it's run by both the student recruitment teams and the wp another little acronym there <laughs> for you and on there we share advice and guidance for students applying to university in the format of reels and videos so if you want to scroll through and share those with your learners you're more than welcome to thank you meg thank you tim so much really enjoyed this it's been actually one of the more challenging ones that we probably could record so meg you've got the short short, short straw to a degree uh, but one thing we will do and i vow to do this is as the uni taste says whereas i can't tell you what where certain acronyms have come from what we will do is get a really good jargon buster on the site. So we'll start things off and we'll do a lot of research in terms of the jargon and acronyms you might run into. But if there's any that you run into and you don't know what that is, do get in touch with us and we'll make sure we add it. You've been listening to The Uni Guide, the guidance podcast you need to support students with university decisions. If you have any comments, suggestions to ask a question or absolutely anything else, do contact us using info at unitasterdays.com. Stay tuned, like and share, and as always, take care. This podcast was produced by Tim Rowe for Unitaster Days.